Wow, that was a great testimony. That's, that's really amazing. You know, uh, one of the things about Christianity today is I think you can, you can come to a strong faith in a, in a week or two and pass up most Christians in the strength of your faith in just a week or two, you know, and, and that was happening in Bible times too, where uh, all the fancy religious people weren't entering in, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes were jumping on board with the kingdom, and they were surpassing these people with all kinds of education and all kinds of uh, understanding of the church world. And these people who didn't even... They'd never read their Bible. They didn't know what was going on. They were surpassing them. And I think that that is something I'd love to see. I'd love to see people knowing Jesus and moving forward in Him, but they don't understand the, the culture of Christianity at all because, you know, they're not from this culture. That's, that's how I grew up, outside of the Christian culture. And it's a bit of a process trying to learn the culture. There's the stuff of God, and then there's the culture of Christianity in America. And those are two very different things. And, uh, you know, I was getting to know God, and getting to know the culture was a little trickier. Um, And through that process, I realized that we need to learn how to get along. Amen? We need, Christians need to learn how to get along. It's very, very important. So that's why we're doing this series called United We Stand. And we are uh, cranking through some stuff. We're going to go, uh, hopefully, well, we'll get pretty far into Romans 15. I don't think we'll finish it. We'll have to come back next week, finish up Romans 15. Uh, But one thing I do want to say before we get going too, too far into it is, uh, whenever there's a tragedy like what happened with uh, Alvin and Pam's daughter-in-law, don't don't anybody say God had a reason, okay? I want to make sure nobody says that because that's not God. Do you understand that? There are there are people in the Christian culture who don't know this book and they don't realize there's a war going on between heaven and hell, between the powers of darkness and the powers of light. And when darkness comes in and reaps destruction, we shouldn't say that was God. When the devil's purposes come forth, we shouldn't say, wow, God must have a strange reason for doing that, because it was not God. It's a very, very confused theology that believes that. And so, uh, so many people have been lied to about the character of God because somebody tried to comfort them by telling them that this death and destruction that happened to them was really God's wonderful kindness in disguise. Well, baloney. It was simply not. Um, that's a lie. And it's a very destructive lie. It's pulled many, many people away from God. God is good. The devil is bad. Amen? Amen? We covered that. We talked about prosperity. We talked two weeks about Job. God is good. The devil is bad. As You can listen to those uh, sermons online if you want to, but let's recognize that. So don't, don't say to him, God had a reason, okay? Because the devil had a reason. And what we need to do is we need God's kingdom to flourish and the devil's kingdom to shrink. 
That's what we need. How does God's kingdom flourish and the devil's kingdom shrink? By God's people coming together and doing his purposes rather than separating, being divided, and falling. How many kingdoms divided against themselves are going to stand? None. How about God's kingdom on earth? No, it'll collapse. Every kingdom. God will not collapse, but what God's trying to do will fall apart. It will wither. Because God's people aren't doing it the way that he wants them to. One of the things I noticed in the Christian culture that was not in this book is that self-righteous justification for division between Christians. I've had people say, slam the tab because of the children's area. You know, oh, yeah, they built that kid's thing, blah, 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 blah. Aren't there enough things to complain about in the world? Then the children's area. To do. If we had the money, we'd build a children's area. I mean, my goodness, it's, it's great. I mean, you don't have to have one, but I mean, come on. What are we looking for ways to fight? Making stuff up? We can't be doing that. We've got to stand together. We've got to stand together. All right. I'm going to recap the entire four weeks that we've gone through already by saying this. Division among believers is sin. Division among believers is sin. There you go. (laughs) Just got that all taken care of. Let's move forward. Uh, The unity that we have is based on love, that God loved us and we share that with one another. As messed up and goofed up as we are, we stand together under Christ, loving one another. The unity we have is not based on exact theological agreement. It's not based on stylistic connection. It's not based on being part of your group or your clique. It's based on the love of God and it transcends all those other things. But how do we handle it when... Another Christian is wrong. How do we do that? I think in the past it's been, well, let's be divided then. They're wrong. Division. Let's form a new organization. The Assemblies of God has been around for about 100 years. It'll be 100 years next year. Uh, The Assemblies of God formed because most of the people that formed it got kicked out of other churches. (laughs) Well, what are you going to do? You know? Uh... You just start your own organization. But uh, they got thrown out. I think they're doing all right. But let's not have division. Let's have unity. Let's move in that direction now. We've been going the division direction for enough centuries. Let's go towards unity. So Romans chapter 14 and 15 really help us to understand what do you do when another Christian is wrong? How do you handle that? This would be a Christian who's trying to do a good job, trying to serve God well, but is just wrong. Does that ever happen? Last week I think we had two people that said they had it all together. Uh, Hopefully they were kidding, but uh, we just sometimes are wrong. It's the way it goes. So how do you handle that? We're going to read Romans 14, 13 through 22. We're going to crank through that, and then we're going to get started on Romans 15. So uh, we're going to read all the way through 13 to 22 in Romans chapter 14, and then we'll have a few little uh, things that we notice in there because we didn't get through all that last week. But then we'll get to Romans chapter 15.
Here we go. Romans 14, starting in verse 13. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment. Okay, so I can't even, I can't even just go and read the whole thing. I have to stop. Have you ever heard that Christians are judgmental? Okay, here, Paul says, okay, you got judgmental option here, but there's another option I want you to choose. So when you have that desire, oh, they're bad. Instead, do this. Therefore, let us stop stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way. As one who is in the Lord Jesus, I am fully convinced that no food is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for him it is unclean. Bizarre. Keep going. If your brother is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy your brother for whom Christ died. Do not allow what you consider good to be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and approved by men. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. Is it possible to destroy the work of God? Paul warns us, don't destroy what God is doing. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for man to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else that will cause your brother to fall. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the man who does not condemn himself by what he approves. Amen. (coughs) We're going to just cover a few things. Make sure you notice them as we go through that. Verse 17. Verse 17. uh, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. What is the kingdom of God a matter of? Is it about following these specific rules about what you eat and drink? Do people today still think that to some extent? What do you eat on Friday during Lent? Fish is fine. If you are convinced that fish it is, eat fish. If you think it doesn't matter whether or not you should eat fish on Friday during Lent, and you're with someone who thinks they better eat fish on Friday during Lent, what should you do? Just, yeah, let it go. That's okay. Don't worry about it. Fish is fine. It's not a matter of whether or not you eat fish on Friday during Lent. Let's not make it about that. I heard it said, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And that's what Romans fourteen seventeen is. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, so let's not make it about eating and drinking. Let's make it about righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Righteousness there does not mean legalism. It means by the grace of God, we are right with God. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. So let's not make it about food or clothes or music style, or church decor, or spiritual gift squabbles, or whatever. 
Let's have the main thing be the main thing. Verse 19. Have you noticed that in the verses we read, basically Paul was saying, don't do anything? Don't put a stumbling block. Just don't do anything. But better off if you don't do anything. Finally here, we get to do something. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. The word edification there would be the same word that would be used like if you're going to build a building. Mutual building. Building one another up. Mutual edification. Strengthening, fortifying, building up one another. Make how much effort? So, But can't we squash them for eating fish on Friday? Can't we yell at them and tell them that, they're, that, that it doesn't matter? Build them up. Strengthen them. Help them. Rather than dividing and fighting and squabbling, we need to strengthen one another, even those who are wrong. Because it doesn't actually matter if you eat fish on Friday or if you eat a hamburger. It doesn't really matter. But let's not make it about that. Let's make it about strengthening other believers. Do what leads to peace and to mutual, that's for everybody, mutual edification. Verse 21. Were you hoping we'd get to something more practical? Let's do it. Verse 21. Because yeah, fish on Friday, that's fine. What about wine with dinner? Ooh, now we're getting somewhere. (laughs) It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else that will cause your brother to fall. Now, Catholics don't eat fish on Friday. AG ministers take a complete sobriety vow. Not a drop of alcohol ever for the rest of your life. You're done. Isn't that interesting? Well, what difference does it make if you have wine with your dinner? Well, they don't eat meat on Friday. During Lent, we don't drink alcohol. Why? Why is that? Because God really hates people who have wine with their dinner? No. It's because people look at me. And I don't want anyone taking my wine with my dinner as an excuse for them to walk into a life of using alcohol. I do not want that to happen. I do not want to give them permission by what I do. I don't want a 15-year-old to say, well, Pastor Mike drinks. I don't want to put a stumbling block in somebody else's path. So I am perfectly content. Because what if my influence leads somebody to drink, leads them to drive, and somebody dies? I'll go my whole life completely dry. I'm fine with that. I drank enough before anyway. <laughs> I used to drink a lot. Not, yeah, I don't know that I was an alcoholic, but I was regularly unconscious, so I don't know if that, <laughs> that makes you an alcoholic, then I guess I was. But. All right. I love verse 22. 
If I could have verse 22 be the theme verse for the church, I would. And I mean the church like the global body of Christ. Verse 22 of Romans 14. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Hallelujah. Are we supposed to have huge long discussions about fish on Friday? Now just be quiet. Who cares? Don't make it about that. Should we have big, long discussions about whether or not Pastor Mike should drink wine with his dinner? No, who cares? Whatever you think about that, keep it between yourself and God. The Bible says just shut up about it. Let's get to the peace. Let's get to the mutual edification. Let's get to the joy in the Holy Spirit. Let's do those things. Let's not argue about food and drink. Let's keep the main thing the main thing. So shut up about it. Thank you, Paul. That should be easy, right? Just to not do anything. Again, this is another don't do something. Don't put a stumbling block. Don't talk about that. That should be pretty easy, right? To just not do anything. If only it were that easy to just not do anything. I mean, because stuff comes up in you, doesn't it? And you got to like, no, 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 you're not going to say that. Oh, yes, I am. No, you're not. (laughs) You've been there. Verse 23. Then we can move forward a little bit. But the man who has doubts is condemned if he eats. Is it okay to eat meat on Friday, red meat on Friday? But if you aren't sure if you should and you're Catholic and you do, it's a sin. What? That's bizarre, isn't it? That's what the Bible says. The man who has doubts is condemned if he eats because his eating is not from faith. Now, I think some people have have been a little bit confused as to what in the world is this talking about. What this means is study it out in the Scriptures, pray about it, get a conviction, and do it. If it's different from what somebody else concluded, okay, keep that between yourself and God. Study it out, pray about it, get a conviction, and go. We all won't come to the same conclusions. So we need to not squash each other. We'll figure it out better and better as time goes on. But how much do we really know? I mean, seriously, we're going to argue about the exact perfect way to follow God? What do we even know? You know what I mean? Love God, that's a good place to start. Love your neighbor, that's another one. We fail at those. We're going to get all worked up over who's eating what. Let's get good at the big stuff. Which means we need to not think too much about the little stuff. All right. Romans 15.1. I'm going to talk a little bit about this. I'm right here. Okay? And I'm going to try to get... <laughs> I'm not going to get to there. Um, that's right. That's why people need to come back. If a guy can get tortured for 52 days and say, I love Jesus and I know what you're going to do when I stand before you and say, I love Jesus, then you can show up next week too. Right? It's not that bad. You know? We try to make it fun. It's not that bad. That's not persecution. All right. Romans 15.1. And staying six extra minutes is not that bad either. 
He didn't get arrested for 52 days. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Failings of the weak, W-E-A-K. The failings of the weak. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak. So the assumption here is that everybody figures they're the strong one. They're the one who's right. They're the one who has it figured out. So those other weak-minded Christians, we need to bear with them. Because, I mean, if you thought you were wrong, you'd change, right? I hope so. <laughs> Otherwise, you've got some issues. Um, those, we, who, we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. How would you, instead of bearing with, so, bear with the failings of the weak, What would be the pleasing yourself? What would the other side of that look like? Um, you guys ever watched America's Funniest Videos? You watched that? Yeah. That would be the failings of the week, wouldn't you say? <laughs> you know, I'm going to ride my bike off the roof. You know, oh, bad plan. You know, if I were, of course, man, did I do some dumb stuff. I used to break bones all the time. I love jumping off of things. That's great. Um, but I'm getting older now, so I should slow down on that business. But um, I got to jump out of an airplane once. That was fun. It's not that scary because the ground is so far away, you know you're not going to hit it. You know? It's like, I'm not going to hit this. So, all right. But, you know, what do you do when somebody does something dumb? You laugh at them, right? That's America's Funniest Videos. You know? What are you doing, buddy? is bearing with the failings of the weak laughing at them. No, that's pleasing yourself. That's, there's a whole industry built around that. You can go to like fail websites or something, watch people do stuff wrong over and over and over and over. And there's a, it, it can develop into kind of a morbid fascination with other people's failures. And then that gets even worse. That's worse than laughing at somebody, you know, who gets hit in a bad place with the bat, you know, with a ball bat, hopefully. Uh, then it can get to this thing where I want other people to fail so I feel better about myself. I know I'm not good enough to get it all done just right, so I'm hoping other people are failing too. And that gets icky. That's where... You know, it gets into the bad thing of, oh, you know, our church is struggling. I hope other churches struggle too. Our church is having difficulty. I hope other churches close so that we can feel better about what we're doing. Boy, that's dangerous, scary stuff. We don't want to be in that place. We want to bear with the failings of the weak, not to please ourselves, but rather... We are to try to strengthen those. Ooh. Another way that you can please yourself is to get all righteously indignant. We'll try to make this the last point. But I have to read some stuff because it's communion. got to read some communion stuff. We'll get back to 1 Corinthians with that. You know what righteous indignation is? That's when you're all upset about what somebody else is doing wrong. 
Is there a true righteous indignation? Yeah, there is. You know, um, there are things that I want to see accomplished and I'm mad at the devil. You know what I mean? I'm mad at him. I, I want him to know that if he's going to mess with me or any of our people, that he just made a mistake. Because we're coming back stronger every time. That's appropriate righteous indignation. Now getting mad at another church or at a Christian for not being a good enough Christian for my taste, well, that's not from God. That I got it written down here. It's just immaturity and pride. Being appalled and slamming people because of their weakness is not a sign of spiritual strength. Amen? Amen. It's just like, have you ever met people who have the gift of discernment, but it's actually just a critical spirit? <laughs> you know, it's really not from God. It's just that they don't like people and they like to slam people and they, they always find fault with everything and they, they can, it's the gift of discernment. No, it's not. It's a critical spirit. You need to get delivered. <laughs> it's the same thing. Come on. It's the same thing with this righteous indignation. No, that's just pride and just you getting offended by somebody else's weakness is just your own pride and immaturity. It's not a spiritual gift of some kind. Don't pretend it's from God. We're going to take communion. The guys can come in and hand that stuff out. We're going to go back to 1 Corinthians. They're patiently waiting back there. They've been waiting so long they aren't paying attention anymore. That's a bad sign. It's like, isn't it terrible when the preacher keeps preaching after the sermon is over? You notice that? You know, like everybody's like already gone home in their mind. You know, they went to their happy place. and they're... Some people just take naps in self-defense at church, you know. It's like, oh, I can't do this anymore. <sighs> Hopefully that's not the case with you guys. But, I just thought of that this week. Taking a nap in self-defense. You got a self-preservation. You know, I got to get through this somehow. I'm going to check out. All right. <coughs> the Apostle Paul, again, we were reading in Romans. Now we're going to 1 Corinthians. Paul wrote to the Romans. Paul wrote to the Corinthians. Uh, we've been covering unity through 1 Corinthians with a little sidetrack through Romans that we're not quite done with. But 1 Corinthians 11, 17, and 18... You know, Paul is, he is just willing to throw down. You know, look at this. In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. Oh, that's real super. The Apostle Paul, you know, that's, how, how's Paul say we're doing? How's the church plant going? You do more harm than good. Like, huh, no wonder he keeps telling us not to do anything, you know. We'd be better off if we just sat there. You know, you're not, you're not accomplishing anything. You guys can go ahead and get started or, or we'll be here till, till noontime. Because so, I'll just keep talking. You know that'll happen. Oh, awesome. The little stuff is gluten-free, by the way, if you're wondering why there's two different kinds. Thank you. In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent, I believe it. So he says that 
your meetings do more harm than good, and the reason, the primary reason, is because I hear there are divisions among you. This is the group, he said, hey, I've heard that some people say that you guys are saying, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow Cephas or Peter, uh, I follow Christ, and you've got these divisions. He says, your meetings do more harm than good, primarily because there's divisions among you. This is the chapter where he talks about taking communion and making sure that you check your heart first so that you don't bring judgment on yourself. The context is division in the local body. That's the context. Now let's move later on in the chapter. Chapter 27. Therefore, I'm sorry, chapter 11, verse 27. So we're 10 verses later. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. You can just leave that there. Anyone who eats and drinks, that is, takes communion, without recognizing the body of the Lord, eats and drinks judgment on himself. What is the body of Christ? We are the body of Christ. This is not about personal sin. That's perfectly relevant. Examine yourself. Is there any personal sin going on? He's talking about the divisions in the church and recognizing that the body of Christ is more important than you being right. The group standing together to praise God to honor God, to show the glory of God is more important than you being right on what you should eat on Fridays during Lent. Recognize the body. It's the group. A man ought to examine himself before he eats the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. That's dangerous. So this is not something you take lightly. This is something important. We want to participate in the forgiving power of Christ. Amen? We want to participate in the healing power of Christ. But we also want to acknowledge the unity of the body of Christ. And so as we pray... I want you to know you're part of something bigger than yourself. If you've got a personal relationship with Christ, I'm glad. If you don't, we're going to pray and we can fix that before you leave. But it's not just about you and your relationship with Christ. It's about you being a part of something bigger. Acknowledge the body. Acknowledge that you're signing up for something when you become a Christian. It's not just about your happiness. It's about taking a stand. And if a one-week-in believer can do it in Iran, we can do it here. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace and mercy. 
We thank you, Lord, that your arms are open to us, that you forgive all of our sins and you make us worthy to be in your presence, to be part of your kingdom through your righteousness. You put that righteousness on us and take our sins away. That is a glorious thing. Father, help us to stand strong together, that your body not be divided, that your body not be fragmented and split up and coming to nothing. But let us serve you fervently, recognizing that the hard part of that can be putting up with, bearing with the faults of weak Christians. Help us to be able to do that effectively. Give us the strength to stand. Let's partake together. This is the body of Christ, which was broken for you. Praise you, Lord. And this is the blood of Christ, which was shed for you. Praise you, Lord. Heavenly Father, you are so good, so good, so good. You are faithful. We trust in you. You will see us through. We give you praise. I pray, Lord, your blessing upon each one here. Let your peace be in our hearts. Let your strength be within us and let your joy overflow. Bless us, Lord, and keep us strong. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.